Welcome back to another episode of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON Field Investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. Today we have a very special episode for you. We have guests all the way from Australia, Ryan Musgrave Evans. We'll be talking about his new book, Children of Orion, Finding the Crypto Terrestrials. It is some great information, so strap on them seatbelts, we're going for a ride. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peake, and we have our special guest on today all the way from Australia, Ryan Musgrave Evans. Hey, Ryan, how you doing today? Welcome to the show. Hey, good day, Jesse. Thanks for having me, man. Not I'm very a- excited about this. This is going to be cool. Yes, absolutely. I was, I was looking forward to this. Um, you were spoken very highly by Philip Mantle. Um, and uh, yeah. Our last interview together, it was uh, I enjoyed that very much, and I thought my uh, everyone that listens to the episodes and UFO encounters would love to hear your story and uh, your research. So this is awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, Phillips, Phillips, a good egg. He he's, he definitely goes above and beyond for his writers. Yeah, my publisher, Philip Mantle. Yeah, for sure. He's been uh, he's been very proactive setting up stuff for me, and it's uh, I'm I'm indebted to him. So that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. He's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. Um, so that'll be awesome oh, nice. too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so your new book, it's called Children of Orion, Finding the Crypto Terrestrials. Um, you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I suppose perhaps I'll just start off by, I'll define crypto terrestrials for those yes, people listening who are not familiar with uh, that term. Um so uh, that's not something I came up with myself. I've, I've borrowed the term from um, the late, great Mac Tonys, T-O-N-N-I-E-S, Mac Tonys, was okay. uh, an American uh, blogger, writer, futurist, ufologist, um, who uh, was thought that the extraterrestrial hypothesis that is normally put out there as the main um, explanation for the phenomena that we consider ET UFO phenomena of today, the extraterrestrial hypothesis that presumes that these beings behind all of this are extraterrestrial, or often it even goes far so far as to be extrasolar. People often consider them probably to be from beyond our solar system. Even that bothered Mac Tonys. Um, in particular, it was that aspect of the extraterrestrial hypothesis that bothered him. So he came up with what he called the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis, or CTH. He, called it for brevity, um, which suggest with uh, from crypto terrestrial, which literally would mean like hidden earthlings or something like that. Right. We're going to translate it. Um, and he he suggested that perhaps the beings behind all of this are more likely to be indigenous beings to this planet. Um, he, he, he suggested this and put this forward because he thought that it was, there was something a bit bizarre about um, the ETs themselves being so interested in our uh, genetics. And this is a big part, of course, of a lot of the uh, testimonies that come from people, abductees, contactees, Absolutely. suggestions that perhaps they're um, uh, interested in our genetics for, for reasons of hybridization or mixing their race with ours for whatever reason. And so Mac Tony said, hey, 
what if they're actually genetically related to us and are some sort of sister species? So he coined this term. But he also built into the word uh, aspects of Jacques Vallée's thesis. Um, his early, like Jacques Vallée's early book, um, that seminal work of his Passport to Magonia in particular really laid down these ideas of, of perhaps beings from earlier mythologies being identical to the um, euphonauts, extraterrestrials, aliens, or whatever we'd normally have gotten used to calling them in more recent times, saying that recognizing this kind of con continuity of reports and continuity of um, descriptions for them, uh, even down to like um, appearance, uh, uh, language, habitation, in many different ways, uh, there seems to be evidence to suggest that they may be the same beings, perhaps a couple of different races, maybe even just the one race. And Jacques Vallée, and as Mac Tony did after him as well, said that it's particularly the mythologies of the Celtic peoples of Western Europe when they speak of fairies and elves that bear the closest resemblance to the kinds of beings that are often described today in, um, in reports and testimonies from people of close encounter reports and et cetera and so on. But um, so my book continues in their footsteps um, and it's children of Orion finding the crypto terrestrials. Um, in this book, as I move along and explore over different cases um, from older times, the fairies, the elves of the Celtic fairy faith down towards the modern UFO era beginning and let's say we could say in um, 1947 with the Roswell crash people often talk about that as being the beginning of the, the UFO era but um, we if we say that these beings are um, identical beings um, we move on through and what I've been trying to do and show in this book is develop a kind of a profile of profile points of characteristics for um, language, habitation. And when I say habitation, I mean, you know, the places they live. So is that your profile list? Is that the profile list? Yeah, the list of profile points. Yeah, that's right. I, at first I called it a profile list and then uh, influenced by um, David Politis, your viewers probably familiar with David Pilatus. I think he needs no introduction, but with his missing 411 Absolutely. and all that, he, um, he, he uses the term profiling. And I thought, well, that's probably a, a superior term because I've been calling it a crypto terrestrial list where I was going through the different cases and building um, this compendium of characteristics uh, for the older ET being, uh, the older fairy beings and showing them moving up through to modern times with modern ET cases and demonstrating the similarities. And I thought, well, profile, the word profiling that people have been using in um, criminology and uh, in policing for a long time is perhaps a, a, a better term. So I adopted that one. So in the, the majority of my book really is an investigation into their presence. Um, and I established fairly early on that it is a particular race of beings, I am alleging are crypto terrestrials, uh, uh, are here, uh, are indigenous to this planet, are related, have an affiliation with us genetically. And I move on through and demonstrate the similarities. But um, 
towards the end of the book, I also sort of come out of the closet a bit and reveal that I am an experiencer, which itself is no secret is I talk about that on my channel and um, um, and uh, most people who are familiar with anything I have to say know that I don't really hide anything about that really but in this particular book I decided it was probably best if I donned the, the cap of a researcher rather than an experiencer and tried as hard as I could to be objective about all of this right. um, even though that is a little bit of a difficult Thing to achieve but I, I, I tried my hardest I understand and, it completely uh, I'm an experiencer yeah. as well so I'm investigating cases I'm the same way try to be objective as possible open-minded so I understand where you're coming from yeah for sure for sure and you yourself have had some interesting experiences yourself you were telling me last time we talked that this uh, experiences in high strangeness that strike me as being probably crypto terrestrial related um, hitting some of those profile points that I talk about in the book. But um, yeah, uh, so my book basically is an attempt to prove beyond reasonable doubt, which is, I'm not quite sure if I've, I've gone gone that far. It depends, it's up to the readers to decide how far I've gone with that, um, how convincing it all is. But um, I try to, to match it all up and demonstrate that there is this continuity of beings the particular one though that I focus on, oh, that's what I was going to say before, and I sort of got lost. The particular group that I was that I focus on in the book um, are the the Celtic Shihim or Uishlin from Gaelic. These words um, they're the, the 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 gentry or the the tall fair um, fairies of ancient Gaelic myth from Ireland and Scotland um, that were described as being um, tall, fair, subterranean dwelling, speaking a whistling language together when they're with um, humans, they would, could um, speak in in whatever language of the region they were, they happened to find themselves in, usually without trace of accent, um, uh, would move about on the horizon in the evening as will-o'-wisps or people lumps of light, luminous objects, sometimes with uh, coming closer and appearing like a figure within the light and all this. Um, and I show that um, uh, Charles Hall, um, the experience of Charles Hall, who worked as a weather observer in the USAF at Nellis Air Force Base in the 60s and wrote the series of memoirs of his called the Millennial Hospitality Books. He's, there's five of them in total, but he goes into a lot of detail about the nature of a particular group of beings he calls tall whites. Okay. Um, and uh, they were, they chirp and whistle amongst themselves. They're subterranean dwelling. They float, levitate around on the horizon at dusk. And so they are the main, they're the most similar. And the, the, I think that focusing on them is the best way to have, um, demonstrate that kind of continuity. There are arguably similarities as well between other alleged races of ET beings and older beings in mythology, for instance. Like you could suggest maybe the more typical idea of a gray alien um, is has some resemblances to some of the older myths about subterranean dwelling trolls and goblins and things like that as well. But in this book, in the um, uh, it's the the tall whites I really 
delve into for the most part and touch a little bit on other clients. But okay, and do you have like um, hot spots where we where these creatures or crypto terrestrials would be at? Do you have any? Do you know what areas they would be? Where they come from? Um. Yes. Well, they're all over the place, but they have subterranean dwellings all over the place. And I talk about in the book, and Charles Hall also mentioned this in his books that they are nomadic and they follow the warmth. Okay. So they they're usually not uh, present and represented on parts of the earth that are particularly cold. So in the depth of winter, there will be empty habitations or habitations maybe that have like skeleton crews and not many not many people represented. But they move around the earth, they under the seas, um, under in the uh, a subterranean submarine, you know, like uh, not actually in the sea itself, but uh, below the crust or inside okay. the crust and inside continental shelves and things like that. Right. Um, uh, but then also in our mountains and uh, uh, underneath national parks and state parks in particular, wilderness areas. Um, there yeah, I, are, I do a lot of research with um, megalithic structures, and a lot of the megalithic structures have tunnels that burrow deep under the ground. Um, I don't know uh, if you know about Newgrange in Ireland, or um, oh yeah, yeah. Um, you have yeah, you have Nemrut Dag in Turkey. Um, it's on a high hill, and the tunnels go so deep into the Earth's crust and down below that people haven't even traveled through them all yet. Um, so that's that's really neat yeah, that you right. say that, you know. Yeah, I think there's there may be connections with that kind of thing as well. That's for sure. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I'm not hugely knowledgeable about that kind of thing. I have touched on a little bit of research about uh, that kind of thing and ancient astronaut theories and uh, that talk about um, yeah megalithic structures and uh, that maybe culturally. People were influenced by crypto terrestrials in the past to build these things, or it may have been some of them, the crypto terrestrials themselves, right. manufacturing these things. Yeah, very, very interesting. So now you also talk about um, the CTs having a cloaking outfit or glowing red eyes. Um, you call it a boa suit? Yes, that's right. Yeah, well, that, that's, a, that's a big element, actually, of my book, um, where I demonstrate that through through different um, uh, cases and testimonies, there is repeated this, this image, an image that's different from, from the usual one that Charles Hall spoke of, of just seeing these, these beings with chalk white skin and huge blue eyes and, and, and fine white hair levitating about in more sort of like luminous suits. Um, another kind of suit and presentation that the CTs have um, that you could, that is identifiable through different cases is a what is normally a darker suit, a grey or black looking suit, when it's not cloaking in any way, but that it does have, it seems, different features such as um, uh, levitation, invisibility or cloaking, uh, intangibility such as you know passing through solid objects, um, telepathic ability, which are called telepath tech in the book which is in the helmets of these things um so they've got like helmets these goggles that glow red at night which seems to be some kind of um enhancement to their vision night vision um a nose like appendage that fits over the top of this um that hangs down and kind of flares out on most of them 
that sort of looks like the nose on a proboscis monkey or something like that. Um, uh, the, the image I have on the front cover of my book is a wonderful thing that the uh, artist um, Mark Randall did. Yes, uh, that was amazing. It's just, a, it. it's just a beautiful image. I can't, I can't stop praising that dude. Did a really good job. Uh, I, I, I provided him a couple of my own sketches and then described some things to him and he had a bit of a look at my book itself and stuff and he came up with this image and said, what do you think about this? It was his first attempt and I was like, that's it. Just leave it like that. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but um, yeah, and also they have, uh, yeah, like a some kind of breathing device also over their mouth there. And then a dark skin tight suit that has the appearance really of... Um, like a like a scuba diving suit, uh, like skin tight, um, with a round kind of uh, a circular kind of technology on the chest that is quite dark. Um, uh, and sometimes they wear cloaks, floor length hooded cloaks with, with these outfits as well, but usually not. Um, and claws come with it on their hands as well. They have um, uh, these claws that that. Uh, um, that are about oh, how, maybe two, two to three inches long um, on their long, thin fingers, their four long, thin fingers. They also have a thumb further up their arm but, um, that's uh, vestigial, really. But these prosthetic claws um, they use and sometimes uh, harm animals if they feel like they're being threatened. Okay, but so yeah, these suits are a very important factor. But, and I call them boa suits because um, in the book because uh, I decided I'd name him after Antonio Villas Boas, who was abducted <laughs> okay. in Brazil in 1957. And because there was a version of these suits, it seems it was being worn by uh, some of them, some of the beings. So they are more technically advanced than we are. Oh, far. Yeah, very much, very much so. Way, way beyond us. Um, yeah, I do, in, in the book, um, I demonstrate. Um, that they are originally a kind of human. You could call them future lineage humans, but um, that is also perhaps a misnomer because um, as the book moves along, I, I, I try to argue and demonstrate that they are really akin to being interdimensional beings as well. And that's been suggested by other people as well. But, um, just to them, just because they are not actually from the future of our timeline, and that gets sort of quite complicated. But uh, they are the, the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis, as Mactoni's painted it, still stands and is still an appropriate term because even though, as I show in the book, they have had an involvement with um, Orion's Belt and the Middle Star in particular of Orion's Belt, Al Nalam, um, and spent tens of thousands of years there. <coughs> They've returned here and uh, because their genomes are impoverished and they require healthy, ancient, archaic DNA, our own DNA to keep themselves afloat and repair themselves, which seems to be an ongoing process as well, that they haven't perfected any way of um, healing these pathologies or maladies that they have. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the crypto-terrestrial word still stands because they still are indigenous to the earth originally or a version of our earth really you could suggest okay um but uh also um are a sister race or perhaps you could say really a daughter race so um, our dna would kind of be somewhat similar that's right that's right yeah compatible 
ours in some ways is superior due to it not having been altered as much. I think there's they've been genetically interfering, doing a lot of um, genetic engineering to alter themselves to lengthen their lifespans is one thing in particular that they've been doing. Um, and there's been a lot of side effects because, you know, genome, of course, is like a systemic holistic thing. And if you start interfering with certain elements, you can have unforeseen side effects and symptoms, circumstances arising out of it. Um, and some of these problems or maladies they have now as a result of messing with their own DNA, um, they cannot fix without returning to a healthier source, an earlier form of uh, what, what would you call it if when you go back in a computer game? I can't think of the word at the moment, but you know when you do the, the reset back to an earlier save point. <laughs> okay. Maybe you could look at it like that, where where they've gone back to when their own DNA was um, uh, more stable and uh, healthy and in its original pre-tampered with form. So would this to... count for a lot of like the abduction phenomenon? That's right. Yeah, the, that's right. Yeah, that, that's the... um. The main reason for the abduction phenomenon is um, taking DNA, but also um, interbreeding with us in the old-fashioned kind of way. You know, like um, copulating with us, just like uh, the Antonio Villas Boas case, and also the famous Sydney case, Peter Curie, who um, in 1992 um, awoke to find a tall white, a crypto-terrestrial woman sitting on him. Uh, Apparently she was really tall. He's about six foot tall. He said she was uh, about a head taller than him. So that's getting quite a tall individual there. Um, she actually, a head hair was left and they did some genetic testing on it. And um, it, it was some interesting findings where the, 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 uh, the root of the, of the hair had Gaelic and Basque DNA. So human, you know. Right. Um, but the, the hair shaft itself as well seemed to have been some kind of graft where it was a different DNA. It was mongoloid or Asian DNA in the um in the hair shaft, but then in the in the um in the follicle was Gaelic or Basque DNA, which again is another link to the fairies, the Gaelic fairies, suggesting that this individual may have some of that DNA from interbreeding with Gaelic people in the past. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So you uh, talked about, we have about uh, three minutes left um, before the break, but you talked about how they use telepathy a lot uh, with interactions with us. Uh, can you describe that? Yeah, well, um, with their telepath tech, um, they, don't, they don't have any uh, kind of natural biological way of, of, of being telepathic any more than we do ourselves as homo sapiens. Uh, they rely, this particular race, the tall whites or the crypto-terrestrials or the, the Majina as well as another word for them they call themselves, which is not a word I use much in this book, but um, they they use this telepathic technology to uh, speak directly into our minds in a linguistic kind of way, where you have this silent kind of voice appearing in your in, the, in your head, or to, to implant even ideas, more abstract concepts or visual imagery, or to instill fear visceral fear in people they wish to repel from a certain area or expel from um, a house or a farm or a ranch or anything that they consider to be too close encroaching on their areas. Okay. They can also they can also use them use it to to implant and instill feelings of love and understanding and trust to 
um, uh, alter and manipulate, perhaps you could say, depending on whether what kind of word you wanted to use and how kind you wanted to be to them. Right. Manipulate's probably a word, but um, uh, into so they sort of make a decision, split second decision sometimes if a person comes into their area and they need to deal with them and they've got this telepath technology on uh, and someone trained to use it as well because it takes a, them a long time, it would seem, to, to train people to be able to use it, train uh, crypto terrestrials to be able to use it properly. But they make a split second decision as to the person they're encountering, whether that person is best dealt with by instilling fear into them or feelings of kindness and love, which, so there's two different means to the same end to remove them as a threat. Basically. Right. Oh, very interesting. That, uh, I love the whole concept. I really, I'm really interested in this. Um, but let's go ahead and take our break right now. Um, and when we come back, we'll finish up. All right. So we'll be right back with the second half of UFO Encounters Worldwide. Hey, did you know UFO Encounters Worldwide has an official website for the podcast? That's right. You can go to ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com today and check out all of the cool content we have on the UFO phenomenon. You can get all of the content and information for each episode on the website. Plus, you can follow my travels and see some of my work. There's even new weekly updates on the UFO phenomenon with megalithic structures and different places from around the world with UFO sightings. That's ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Check it out today. UFO Encounters Worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sighting you want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peak, at ufoencountersworldwide at gmail.com today. Hey everyone, it's Jesse Peak, your host from UFO Encounters Worldwide. Have you guys ever had a UFO sighting? Go to MUFON.com where you can report your UFO sighting and a field investigator will get in contact with you and investigate your sighting absolutely free. I'm a field investigator for MUFON in Pennsylvania. I do it all the time. It's a great, great organization to report your sighting and actually get real feedback. Check it out at MUFON.com today. Welcome back to the second half of UFO Encounters Worldwide. We're here with our special guest all the way from Australia, Ryan Musgrave Evans. Um, we were just talking about telepathy before we went to the break um, about their interactions with humans. Um, and we had talked about a point earlier about the boa suit where, they, they, um, where these beings are able to become invisible. Um, I was working on a case um, I researched a case um, about a woman that went hunting in the woods um, and she was waiting up in her um, in her tree stand. And while she was sitting in the woods, she could see this 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 creature of some sort moving, jumping, going from tree to tree and moving down on the ground. But it was like the predator in, in its cloaking outfit. Um, and that kind of brought back memories when you say that these 
that the CTs wear these boa suits like this. Is that is that how they are? Is that, is that similar to what the predator would wear? Yes, yeah, that kind of effect. That's right. And um, uh, the people variously describe as like you know, being like a heat haze or um, like the kind of look you get on a hot day off the top of a road maybe where that's kind of shimmering sort of look. Yes. Um, an indistinct kind of look to perhaps a human-like figure moving around. Uh, that that is an appearance that they seem to be able to take on, but they they also seem. And I'm not quite sure why, but whether maybe different suits of theirs different uh, have different um, uh, efficiency with this. Um, maybe because okay. um, some of their suits would seem to still have that kind of heat hazy predator movie kind of look whereas in other instances it seems that they can be be completely invisible so would you um, say that maybe they were trying to be known like it was trying to be seen well that is a possibility as well like you have um the the, the case of skinwalker ranch and, and your listeners most likely be quite familiar with skinwalker ranch and yes that i was going to bring that up surface <laughs> of the lights that is skinwalker um because uh, and the book that was written by um, George Knapp and Colin Callagher about that, and then also the G- Jeremy Corbell documentary that's based largely on on Knapp and and uh, Callagher's book, right? Um, talk about one particular incident where a guy came onto the ranch when news had sort of spread around the local community that there was the events of high strangeness all focused in the one particular area at Skinwalker Ranch. Um, he came onto the property and requested to be taken out into the middle of a field and, and allowed to just try and communicate with the beings in some kind of spiritual, mystical way or something like that, presumably. And the, the rancher indulged the guy and like drove him out sort of further into the ranch and, and, and let him walk off into a field. And the guy stood there with his eyes closed and his arms akimbo and the rancher and his son, I think it was, just sort of sat there near the truck watching, amused. But there was a sound like a bell, apparently, that came out of the woods nearby. And then some huge shape that they describe as being this kind of heat haze shape. And at the time, they hadn't actually seen, apparently, the movie Predator. They watched it at a later stage and identified that as being a similar kind of effect, but like the rancher and his son themselves. But um, something like shot across the field really quickly stopped in front of this guy whose eyes were still closed and it roared in his face and he went flying back onto the ground. He was hysterical. The thing ran back off into the trees um, and the guy, you know, was hysterical and just screaming that he's never coming back and the place is um, cursed, wow. et cetera, and so on. <clears throat> but um, so that, that was a, an event in, in high strangeness from just one of the thousands from Skinwalker Ranch. But uh, in my opinion, Skinwalker Ranch is just another one of many paranormal hotspots that are attributable, where the, the phenomena is attributable to the CTs that I talk about in my book. Um, that will appear in that case, they have some kind of underground habitation going on there, and also off in the in the cliff face in the in the mesa nearby. But anyway, I'm getting off track. So no, that's uh, the fine. suit themselves, yeah, the suit themselves, uh, the suits. Um, uh, that, like you were saying, Jesse, that there's a possibility that sometimes they they lessen the efficiency of the suit so that it is slightly visible 
and this is just another way that they can instill fear in us or at least let us know that there is something there right because that's um, what she was doing when she's sitting there she's seen this thing and it was it was kind of coming across her sight and she was watching it and it kind of stopped as it got into in front of her and looked at her and then it ran off and it completely yeah, instilled right. fear into her um she left immediately went home and told her family about it um and it actually in in town and uh there was a football game going on at the same time and they actually seen something as well in the sky um at the same okay. time she was seeing this being in the woods so it was they they all found this out later oh. on um so it was a it was a big case it yeah was pretty, right. okay. pretty neat oh, so that's an interesting connection back to ufos with it as well which is um yeah right that's that's um yeah i mean it, these little college towns that have football i mean that's like their big thing so everybody from the town comes out to watch and they were all there at a big game and i mean there was hundreds thousands of people there that all witnessed this it, it was it was pretty cool um i enjoyed yeah, it well. yeah um but i but going back to skimwalker ranch you were comparing some cases of your work with cts and skimwalker and also mothman um because I guess with the red eyes and some of the cloaking abilities, do you want to describe some of that? Uh, yeah, well, um, with Skinwalker in particular, um, uh, with Skinwalker Ranch, um, there were craft seen there, the rancher described and the, the, the family living there, the Gormans was the pseudonym they used. Um, the Gorman family saw craft that they described as being like rvs like recreational vehicles that were parked on the property and when they go to confront the people parking on their property and give chase the vehicles would move away and even like levitate and go over the top of hedges and really um yeah um now in um charles hall's millennial hospitality books where he talks about the tall whites um uh, that was one of the major kinds of craft he mentions. And he even likened them to RVs in that book as well. He said they were like floating RVs and they could hit tremendous speeds and they could just sit there levitating. And that he even got to see inside some of them as well, where they had like hammocks and microwaves and um, lots of kind of just domestic everyday kinds of things. Right. Uh, um, he, he also specified Charles Hall, and he's right about this, that the um, a lot of the craft they use are manufactured from goods or uh, um, are fabricated using um, um, our own industries and our own materials. So some of the, even though they are um, future lineage humans that, that have been here for a long time as well, gone back into our past that are in the earth and they're uh, entrenched here. Um, some of the tech, they've brought a lot of technologies with them, but they also ma manufacture stuff here and the stuff that they manufacture here, um, is often utilizing stuff to hand that is produced by us and our industries okay but then with their superior sciences they can put it to 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 better effect than we do so as charles hall noticed about the rv craft that he saw it was filled with it was made out of just um like the seats were i think were like seats out of our own jet fighters and the microwave was like a microwave that you could buy at a store in the US at the time and things like that. Um, but but anyway, so that's an interesting side issue. But the but the um at Skinwalker Ranch as well, there were large darker craft um 
flying straight into into the side of a cliff and Charles Hall in his Millennial Hospitality books talks about larger, darker crafts coming in as well. Um, now the beings, the people that were seen in the Skinwalker Ranch case piloting these vehicles as well, seen from a distance, were wearing uh, black suits, but they were giants. They were described as being really tall um, and leaving massive footprints. Okay. Um, and so there's another connection there to them being the same race, the tall whites that Charles Hall talks about, those CTs. But um, now there's another case um, that's, you could call it a sister case to Skinwalker Ranch. Um, and it was in a Timothy Good book. Um, uh, the ufologist Timothy Good, in one of his books, he went into detail about what he called um, the Colorado Ranch. Yes, where yes. There was I know. A similar <laughs> kind of situation going on with, yeah, lists of, phenomena that are very very close to the skinwalker ranch type phenomena yes um the actually the mufon state director for colorado um she grew up on that ranch um oh wow yes so she actually has a lot, she she wrote a book about it and growing up and dealing with the phenomenon there um very intriguing she was on a youtube show last night um telling her story again so i've oh, definitely wow. heard about this is very very intriguing <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, so that's that's really interesting. Okay. Maybe maybe after the show, I'll I'll hit you up to yeah to, to get some more information about that. Man, that sounds really perfectly cool. fine. Yeah. Um. But in that case, um, the the rancher uh, actually got to meet the beans. Um. So if it's the same case, so let me know if it's starting to not sound like a case that you're talking about, Jesse. But okay. The where he got to where he went to one spot where he felt he should go and there was a, a glowing cube sitting on the ground and two people that were thin, they were about five foot six, so not very tall, tall whites, but tall whites take a very long time to grow. They take about 100 years to even get to the original six foot before they keep on growing on and on and on. Get up to 10 foot tall by the time they're like six or 700 years old. Okay. Um, but uh, but at five foot six, they'd be probably about like 70, 70 or eighty years old, like uh, seven o and eight o, not seventeen. Not so they so do they outlive us? Do they outlive a normal human? Yeah, they live. They live. They can live as long as eight hundred years. Oh, okay. Uh, so so uh, and it takes them. They grow like like a five foot tall tall white. Would, would be like about 50 years old and okay. they'd be quite and they're quite small uh at five foot six tall whites like about 70 they get when they get to about 100 they get they're about six foot and then they have windows of growth and when they get to about 400 years old they really start cranking then and really start shooting up and get to i've seen eight and nine foot tall cts and charles hall in one of his books specifies that um there was one that was 10 foot tall, but um, so yeah, really, really big. They end up getting, um, uh, but, um, but the, the beings that were actually in this Colorado case, they were described by the rancher as having uh, blonde hair, huge eyes. You couldn't get over how big their eyes were thin, kind of effeminate looking, even though they were male. Um, they spoke to him in his head. They said to him as well as just speaking normally as well with their mouths. They said to him that they were going to allow him to remember this. Okay. And they said to him that the situation wasn't really working out properly. 
and they don't really want the family there. And they sort of had a bit of a discussion. So they were quite open with him about it. So here you have, I, I think the case is actually even mentioned in by Callahan and Nap in their Skinwalker Ranch book, although they don't go into a huge amount of detail about it, but they do sort of mention it in passing. Right. But it's particularly, particularly important, I think, because you have these very close list of uh, sort of high strangest phenomena at this Colorado ranch and at Skinwalker Ranch. But then in the case of Colorado Ranch, the rancher actually got to meet them. So right. there's, no real there's no real mystery there, provided the guy's not lying and he remembers it correctly and et cetera and so on. Right. But he, but he, um, that, so that really um, kind of destroys the mystery. Uh, and and uh, where they presented themselves and they showed themselves how they really are and they allowed him to remember it. And uh, so now what I, and in my book, I, I demonstrate that that is them. So that, that is the way they look. That is the way they actually are be, okay. beyond all the semblances and, and, and uh, you know, mental manipulation of most events where they're pretending to look like other things. They can, they can do a kind of what, the, what in ancient Gaelic times and the Celtic fairy faith would have been called like glamoury. Okay. Where they, where part of their telepath tech as well. This is something I left out of their telepath tech um, before when we were talking about it. But um, that they can suggest to you that they appear as pretty much anything. Um, they can appear, and usually they use it to make themselves look like someone you know and trust. Um, so th this is sort of like an explanation, perhaps for the, the or a partial explanation anyway for some of it of of like doppelganger type phenomena and things like that where you see you see someone you talk to them and then you see them again later and they say hold on a sec that wasn't me i don't know what you're talking about right um, right okay uh, but but they use they use this kind of thing to 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 gain trust to not freak you out to have meaningful interactions with you and sometimes they even do it um for people that are deceased which which uh fuels these ideas of um spirit ghosts right? of yeah. spirits yeah ghosts of deceased humans where they'll choose to appear like someone that you knew and loved that's passed away in order to um, make you feel comfort and et cetera and so on. And then they'll move on again and move off. And then you'll be like, oh, hold on a sec. I just saw grandma the other night. I saw a ghost. Right, right. But, but sometimes, um, so, no, which is not to say that ghosts necessarily don't exist as well, but, but, but it, in my opinion, at least some and probably even most ghost-related phenomena is attributable to the CTs as well, doing right. these kinds of tricks. Okay. Um, but, uh, but the way they actually look, I mean, you, <laughs> I mean, anything's possible, I suppose, if you want to go down the road and say, oh, hold on a sec, what if the way they present themselves to Charles Hall or they show themselves to this Colorado rancher or the way they've shown themselves to me as well, what if that is even just um, contrived? Right, right. And they look and they look like something else even again. And it's like, well, I suppose you can't be a hundred percent sure of anything in the end. That's uh, true. But <laughs> but but I'm ninety nine point nine 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 something percent, you know, like that. But anyway, right. Uh yeah, so so that's so that Colorado case is an important one for linking back the linking the tall whites or the, the, the CTs that my book's about, linking it back to the Skinwalker Ranch, showing that um if the beings looked a certain way and presented themselves a certain way at, in, in one ranch with identical phenomena to another ranch it's 
very possible that it's, this, it's those beings uh, affecting all of this nonsense and absurdity and crazy antics at the Skinwalker Ranch as well. Okay. But um, I do have a question. Yeah, and as for, <clears throat> oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, so people that say they see like a um, Bigfoot or a Yeti, um, do you have any comparisons of what that might be or that, is that related? Uh, well, I think, well, I think, I think a lot of the time, or some will say, I think some of the time when people see what they think is a Bigfoot, some of the time it is a large, older CT in a boa suit. Okay. So just like you were um, talking about, they're able to show you what they, or look how they want to look. They can look like, yeah, like they want to look, or even if people just hear um, the sounds, because also I don't talk about it that much. I don't actually talk about it at all, sorry, in this book, but I talk about it on my channel and in my next book I'm planning on talking about it a lot. But the Sierra sounds that were recorded by yes. um, Al Berry and Ron Moorhead. Absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> are, are CTs, not Sasquatch. Okay. So, um and an experiencer, Julio Fernandez in Spain, in, was taken aboard a craft of Nordics or tall whites uh, in um, 1978, I think it was, in, in Spain. Um, and he describes the sound of their language okay. um, as he heard it. And, the, um, and he talked about it as sounding, um, he used words like, sounded like the martial art, oriental martial art cries of, of the East. Um, sounded like a mixture of German for its gutturalness and Chinese for its monosyllabic nature. Um, and the, the sounds were thrown up out of the diaphragm um, and, and uh, it was, you know, interspersed with barking sounds and whistling. And um, Now, Charles Hall spoke about the languages um, of, the tall, of the language of the tall whites and talked about how they bark and neigh and whistle and chirp and growl and hoot and, and these kinds of things. Um, now this is, and also have um, sounds that they make that are beyond the hearing, high, too high and too low for Homo sapiens to hear. Charles okay. Christmas, right, right. With the Sierra sounds, that was an element as well when they're when um, researchers are, are considering the sounds. Some of the sounds, the frequencies are too high for us to hear, and some too low in the in the in the Sierra recordings. Now, do you think and they also, were being hostile, or they were just showing themselves? Um, well, I, I think they were. I'm not quite sure what they were doing. Actually, it's it's, it's a bizarre kind of situation where they're allowing um, Alberry and Ron Moorhead in the '70s there to record them in the first place, which is, and then also to remember it. So that's a little bit odd in the first place, but um. A lot of it seemed to be just them moving around, talking to each other, but then some of it became displays where they were deliberately coming up right up close to them and making these animalistic sounds. But they have um, uh, what are uh, like camouflage languages. So then natural language sounds more like uh, a really deep guttural Japanese or something like that. Okay. Um, interspersed with some sort of like coughing, weird coughing sounds. But then they also have other linguistic codes they turn to to as to camouflage their voices so they can they can speak in like chirping languages so where um, you would think it's a bird or a dog it's actually them trying to communicate or communicate that's right yeah yeah 
So they, they can they can revert to that instead of telepathic technology to each other. They chirp and whistle and and bark and growl or, and hoot and and howl and things like that. And I think and I'm fairly certain that the appendage that they wear in their boa suits that's on their head, that's on their nose, goes it goes actually goes up onto over their forehead and bulges out on their forehead. And I'm convinced that that's actually for um, sound production, for echoing and producing um, a plethora of different kinds of animal-like sounds and, and reaching, like, to, to um, what would you call it, like, um, resonating okay. sounds yes. and making, um, that they can, I mean, they have, they seem to have the capacity to, to um, twist and contort their vocal cords in ways that we can't anyway and produce all of these interesting sounds themselves, but then that's augmented by this kind of technology that looks like a big nose on the front of their faces. But anyway, um, yeah, so the Sierra sounds itself uh, are, are the, are the CT, these CTs. They, you know, um, Ron Moorhead and Alberry, they didn't actually see anything. Right. They said right. They, they could hear the sounds, but they couldn't see the things making them. Right. And they, and they had weird things happening, like, which is a CT factor as well in the profile where, they had poltergeist activity through their camp while they're yes. hiding when they're hiding in this little hideaway poltergeist activity where there sounds like their camp's being ripped apart then in the morning they open up the door and nothing's been touched right so there's sort of like like tricks like uh sound um uh Manipulation. illusions yeah um and then also ron moorhead said that um they heard humming and he went there, I think, years later with his wife and they camped there and they heard um, a humming sound that was coming like from above them and then also, I think, in the mountain. And he also saw, they saw orbs and um, what he described as being like a like the, the, the laser part, the, the blade of a lightsaber without a handle okay. going, across the, going across the ground like it's scanning the ground or something. So as well as experiencing, <clears throat> so sort of like in concert with these, wonderful linguistic utterances he was recording these things were happening in tandem with high tech evidence for high technology being used alongside them right um uh, which is the cts you know more evidence for the cts but um yeah the bigfoot thing i think as well uh i mean there may be such thing as you know sasquatch out there um in like societal ancient hominids that are left over from an earlier era that era that are still existing out there that we can't find you know good evidence for but they are there nonetheless that may be true but right i think a lot of the stuff that's attributed to as being evidence for sasquatch and bigfoot actually is really evidence for cts and some of it as well comes back to um i think so sometimes it's it's like i said sometimes it's cts in boa suits that that people are seeing that they think of bigfoot and okay. they just see a big dark shape with glowing red eyes and it's eight foot tall and it's wandering through the trees right. and it's growling <laughs> and hooting. And they go, oh, uh, yeah. And, and even when they um, activate in these suits, when they activate their um, uh, anti-gravitics, they sort of blur. They become blurry and sort of fuzzy looking. And right. Maybe sometimes right. people think that's fur as well. Okay. But, um, which, which also probably explains dogmen and things like that. But So but, we have about um, um, two minutes left. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. I, okay. No, I'll just good. quickly say that there's a, there's a thing as well, the idea maybe that some of the cryptids that are seen in places like Skinwalker Ranch and also the Colorado Ranch cases that don't seem to be alive, really, that, you know, like the, the rancher at the, 
Skinwalker Ranch case, he fired a shot with a high-powered rifle at, at this giant wolf. Yes, yes, um, I remember that. And a piece of flesh was blown out the back of it, and then the creature wandered off and then just disappeared. They followed the tracks. The tracks ended with nothing like it had been beamed yeah, up. Yeah, it didn't even affect it um, whatsoever. And the flesh itself it was described as being like it was decaying. Yeah, like it was dead. Like it was like dead. Yeah. Uh huh. And the and the and and the being that the the creature itself didn't have a pain response to the to the firearms. Right. It didn't like even that. react. So, that's right. And so it's almost like some of these cryptids, like giant <clears throat> wolves or dogs or even giant extinct hominids that would be called like Bigfoot and Sasquatch. As something, some kind of tool that's being produced by the CTs as a kind of an, a, another element of their psychological warfare. Right. So if they want to pull out of a place, another tool again that they can use to instill fear in people. But anyway, yeah, yeah it's really interesting stuff. Um, well, we've got about a minute left. Do you want to um, tell everybody where they can find your book at and where they can follow you at? Oh, uh, yeah, cool. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah, so the book, uh, Children of Orion, Finding the Crypto Terrestrials, is available um, through Flying Disc Press on Amazon uh, as a paperback, hardback, um, uh, an e-book, um, and it is in the pipeline for it to be an audio book that's being done at the moment, so at some stage that'll be cool when that happens. Um, so, yeah, that's just on Amazon, and also... Um, I have a YouTube channel, which is just my name, Ryan Musgrave Evans, um, where, okay. which I put sort of like a vlog kind of thing on or sometimes put some old documentaries on I think are relevant to, to what I'm on about. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, so there you go. All right. Well, I thank you very much for coming on today. It was definitely a great conversation. I wish we had more time. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, we'll definitely try to have you on again in the future. Um, this way we can have a little bit more of a conversation and get a little deeper into it, which would be great. Um, if you're up yeah, for that, that sometime. Be... All right. Um, for sure. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. You can find um, the name of Ryan's book in the description below and his bio. Um, and like he said, follow him on YouTube and definitely get his book. It's highly recommended. Um, so thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. We'll see you next week with UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>